Employers adopt dress, grooming, and hygiene policies to help maintain a professional and safe work environment. But at what point might these standards cross the line? Welcome to HRpreneur, a podcast by ADP. This is Jim Duffy. We're pleased to have Merrill Gutterman join us again today. Merrill works as counsel here at ADP. We're going to speak about factors to consider when creating dress codes. Merrill, thanks again for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jim. So Merrill, for me, when I think about dress codes, business professional, business casual, or jeans and a t-shirt come to mind. At a basic level, all of these options seem perfectly fine. But at times, I'd imagine certain requirements could become problematic. So my first question is, when can dress codes pose an issue? I think that's right, Jim. They can become problematic at times. Generally, employers have broad discretion under federal law to establish reasonable dress code standards, but when policies discriminate against a protected group, at that point, that's when they can become problematic. Policies can't burden or treat workers differently because of their race or their gender or their national origin or any other protected characteristic. So how might a dress code burden a protected class? I think one easy example would be if you were to require women to wear dresses um, and that would cause a possible increased financial burden for them to go out and shop for dresses, um, a burden that men wouldn't have necessarily. Um, I will say, though, that courts have generally found that different dress codes for men and women may be allowed as long as they're equally burdensome. But unless your business needs to have a gender-specific dress code, it's really best to adopt a gender-neutral policy. Um, You can provide employees with a broad list of appropriate attire and allow them to choose what they'd like to wear. Could restrictive dress codes elicit gender identity uh, protections? Yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, Having dress codes that perpetuate gender stereotypes could also result in claims for gender identity discrimination. Um, Just to level set, under Title VII, employers can't discriminate against applicants or employees on the basis of their sex, among a number of other characteristics. And the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or the EEOC, has taken the position that protections on the basis of sex extend to gender identity. And then also there are many states and local jurisdictions that have enacted laws that expressly prohibit gender identity discrimination. And these laws typically require employers to allow employees to dress consistent with their gender identity. So when you're creating your dress codes, you want to keep in mind the EEOC's position, all the state and local laws that may apply to your business, and the fact that some individuals may identify as non-binary. This just means that they don't identify as exclusively male or female. So to help promote an inclusive and non-discriminatory workplace, I'd recommend that your company adopt a gender-neutral dress code. Can you tell us more about the other characteristics protected under Title VII? as they apply to dress code standards? Sure, so under Title VII and also under many state laws, employers can't discriminate against applicants and employees because of religion. For example, um, employers might be required to make exceptions to a dress code in order to accommodate an employee's sincerely held religious beliefs. For example, if you prohibit wearing hats and other head coverings, you may need to make an exception for an employee who wears a headscarf as part of their religious practices. All right. So as with dress codes, grooming standards must comply with various non-discrimination laws as well. How might this impact restrictions on, say, hairstyles or facial hair? That's a great question. Um, A company's grooming standards 
can also implicate non-discrimination laws. Over the years, employees have filed complaints alleging that their employers have violated existing non-discrimination laws by prohibiting them from wearing certain hairstyles. And courts have generally been split on whether restricting certain hairstyles violates laws prohibiting racial discrimination. And recently, in response to these cases, we've seen several jurisdictions passing laws that expressly prohibit hairstyle discrimination. Um, for example, California amended the definition of race in its non-discrimination law to include traits that are historically associated with race, and that includes hair texture and protective hairstyles such as braids or locks and twists. And also other states like Colorado, Maryland, Nebraska, New York, New Jersey, Virginia, and Washington, um, to name a few, also have expressed hairstyle discrimination laws. So as a best practice, if the company is able to meet its business needs, instead of having hard and fast rules banning specific hairstyles, we're seeing employers simply require employees to keep their hair kempt and then allow their employees to style their hair as they choose. So, Meryl, if an employer requires employees to be clean-shaven, do they have to make an exception for religious purposes? Right. So, like we just talked about, employers may be required to make reasonable accommodations for employees' sincerely held religious beliefs and practices. So, if you require employees to be clean-shaven or closely trim their beards, you may need to make an exception for individuals who maintain beards as part of their religious practices. Um, there are also some medical conditions that may prevent an individual from maintaining a clean-shaven face, and under the Americans with Disabilities Act and also similar state laws, employers may be required to provide an exception to their policy if the condition were to be considered a disability as it's defined under the law, absent any undue hardship. So I would recommend if you're in this situation that you consult with legal counsel when you're figuring out whether you need to make a reasonable accommodation and whether there's an undue hardship that would prohibit you from doing so. So would this rule still apply, say, in a safety-sensitive situation? Well, the ADA allows employers to establish qualification standards that will exclude individuals who pose a direct threat, such as a significant risk of substantial harm to the health or safety of the individual or to others. So that said, before an employer enforces a policy or a rule that would exclude an individual, they're going to need to engage in the interactive process to see whether they can accommodate that worker in a safety-sensitive position. So, for example, if you have an employee who has a beard but needs to wear a respirator for safety reasons and the beard might interfere, you may have to provide loose-fitting respirators to effectively protect that employee in the workplace. All right. How about tattoos? Can employers require employees to keep tattoos covered while at work? Uh, well, in general, employers have discretion when determining what restrictions to impose on body art. I think it's important to make sure, though, that your policies on body art, um, as with your other dress and grooming standards, are applied consistently, and they don't create undue burdens for any protected class of employees. So, for example, um, some religious practices may involve tattoos or piercings, and in those cases, you may have to provide an exception. So, requiring an employee to cover their religious body art may not be allowed if that would violate the employee's sincerely held religious beliefs. Great. Thanks, Merle, for that. Um, fragrances, another category here. Fragrances may be an additional component of an employer's personal appearance policy. So how should employers address use of fragrances in the workplace? 
Right. There are some employees who are sensitive to synthetic fragrances and may have trouble breathing and working if someone is wearing a fragrance near them. So to address this, there are some employers that have implemented policies that ask employees to refrain from wearing heavily scented products in the workplace. Um, under the ADA and similar state laws, employers are generally required to provide a reasonable accommodation if the individual's fragrance sensitivity qualifies as a disability, again, unless it would impose an undue hardship on the business. Um, the Department of Labor's Job Accommodation Network also suggests a number of possible actions employers could take to accommodate an employee with fragrance sensitivities. Uh, things such as maintaining good air quality, um, discontinuing the use of the fragrance product, modifying workstation location or work schedules, providing an air purification system, and also even encouraging the use of teleconferencing or other forms of technology instead of face-to-face -face meetings. Thank you, Meryl, as always. Uh, great, great insight here. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to educate us on these key areas relating to dress, grooming, and hygiene policies at work. Uh, employers clearly should make sure their policies comply with all applicable laws and promote workplace diversity and inclusion. So I want to thank you all for listening to HRpreneur. Thanks again for being with us. Take care.